are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Wildcats. I'm Mike Luke. This show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is one of the best protein bars going. Doesn't taste like your average protein bar. And quite frankly, it tastes like candy. And if you like candy and you like working out like myself then you should check out Built Bar. Promo code for Built Bar is LOCKEDON20. I'm Mike Luke. A lot of you might know me from my uh, time at Wildcats Radio 1290 as one of the co-hosts of the pre- and the post-game show for Arizona basketball. And here we, I'm going to be joined in a little bit by John Brogan, U of A insider, guy that's got a ton of good knowledge. We're going to talk about what do the last few games mean for Arizona basketball. And just as importantly, we're going to get you ready for Arizona's last game of the season against the Oregon Ducks and Sean Miller friend, yet on-court nemesis, Dana Altman. As many of you know, Arizona squeaked out with a victory Saturday afternoon against the Washington Huskies, 75-74. And a lot of times when a better team plays a significantly inferior team close you kind of wonder all right what exactly happened here what made how did this happen what made sense what didn't make sense but quite frankly there was really no question as to why this game was close right here first of all if you're playing a team like Washington and you let a guy like Hamir Wright go off for 18 points career night from three-point range that's going to be an issue When you allow the Washington Huskies to shoot 49% from the field, get 24 free throws, that's going to be an issue. But Arizona was able to still counteract that and show that they were the better team on a game where they didn't give their best effort. And here's why. The Cats went 23 of 63 from the field. That's never going to cut it. But... Arizona out-rebounded the Washington Huskies 41-29, to including 13 offensive rebounds. And we've talked about this a bunch of times, but when you go against a team that zones, they're generally going to be vulnerable on the offensive glass. And when Arizona's got two big men in there, especially one of them, Azulis Tabellis, who is quickly becoming the best rebounder in the conference, that was going to be a problem for the Washington Huskies. And... I think you found out that Arizona's got a little bit of a closer in this game, and that was point guard James Akinjo. We'll be talking about James a little bit more later on in the show, but the last two possessions were really indicative of where this team flows and where James Akinjo is the spearhead for this squad. Arizona, Arizona was down. James Akinjo brings the ball up the court, takes a quick little hesitation dribble to the left, nails a three. Washington comes back down. You get two free throws from Eric Stevenson, and then Arizona gets the ball. James Akinjo runs the ball to half court, and then Sean Miller, as is customary, calls his timeout. Arizona gets the ball coming out of the timeout, and James Akinjo gets into the lane, and a big frustration that a lot of people have had this year with the point guard from Oakland is that when he gets into the lane, a lot of times he forces up shots. That can work if you're Russell Westbrook and you are a super explosive athlete. That generally doesn't work, though, when you're about 5'11 and you're not a super explosive athlete. James Akinjo gets into the paint and then dishes it off to Azulis Tabellis, who nails a long two-point shot. 
And again, it, it looked like a three at the time, but on review, it was a two. It was also impressive, though, that, a, that Azulis was able to make that shot because this is the second time now that Tabellis has made a huge corner shot to almost put away a team in the last minutes or the last seconds. You saw that in the Oregon game where Tabellis came really close to actually winning the game off of that shot. So Arizona now looks, at least in this game, they looked like they were actually comfortable becoming uncomfortable in those last moments. And I've been somewhat pessimistic on this team throughout the season in close games, but it does feel that this Washington game was a little a little bit indicative of something bigger that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show with John Brogan. I'm also at the point, though, that to me, this game, Arizona just needed to win. Some wins aren't going to be pretty. This was certainly one of those games. Arizona's going to have some issues with playing teams close because, honestly, this just isn't as talented a team as I think a lot of people are used to seeing. Arizona fans are used to seeing, with Sean, especially in the Sean Miller era earlier on, where you're throwing out a lineup where you got six NBA guys on there, and the ones that aren't NBA guys are probably going to be G League type guys. This team doesn't have that type of talent, but this team also has the ability, though, to get progressively better. And it's going to be fun to talk about that and talk about how what this team could marinate into. We're taking this segment a little bit short because these next two segments are going to be a little long because we've got a lot to talk about. But always want to give you a reminder about betonline.ag. BetOnline.ag is easily the best sports gambling site going, and it's not even close. You can get the cool lines that everybody wants. Right now, Arizona is a four-and-a-half-point underdog against Oregon, so if you think that Arizona is going to keep the game closer than that, or if you want to go big and think Arizona is going to win that game, might be a good bet. You can go to BetOnline.ag, and they've got you covered. But what makes betonline.ag even more interesting, though, and what makes them incredibly unique is that they have all kinds of prop bets. And you might be thinking, you know, what exactly is a prop bet? Well, the prop bet is if Arizona is going to play against Oregon and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I don't think Oregon can contain James Akinjo. I think that's going to be the reason that Arizona is going to be able to win that game. This is the site where you can go on there and a lot of times find a point number for Akinjo. So if you think that he's going to go over his average of 15 and a half, this is the place that you can place those kind of bets. And that's why betonline.ag is about as good as it comes. Now let's get a little bit bigger into what the last few games have meant for Arizona and maybe what this Washington game was indicative of. John Brogan's going to be hopping on here in a moment. You're listening to Locked On Wildcats. You're listening to Locked On Wildcats, as promised. John Brogan's back in the saddle, and uh, we've got a lot to talk about this segment. We're going to talk about what basically are your analysis, what exactly is the analysis of Arizona after these last few games. Then we're going to get into an Oregon preview a little bit later on, where we've got some unique takes on that. But first of all, Brogan, are you more optimistic, less optimistic? What is your take on this team over the last I would say three to four games of the season. Yeah, this season's been interesting because they didn't get a, a, a preseason. They didn't get to 
practice like you typically would. Arizona introduced a ton of new players this year. And I think you've seen that inconsistency kind of manifest itself throughout the year. I think what it feels like you're starting to see is they're developing some consistency. The USC game gives you an idea of kind of maybe what the ceiling is. USC, you know, was ranked, mm-hmm. uh, I think, up to 19th at one point this year. Late maybe in the Arizona broke USC in the process. <laughs> right, right, after losing to Utah. Mm-hmm. So I think it's I think it should give you optimism that they've got enough pieces that an offseason, some consistency, some familiarity. I think you should be optimistic for Arizona that they could be one of the top two or three teams in the pack next year. The thing about the Washington game is, was it an ugly game? Sure. Did they struggle to shoot the ball well? Yeah, except for Akinjo, clearly. But... This team had found ways to lose those types Mm -hmm. of games this season. And so them finding a way to win that game, it's also senior night, which is extremely odd given the COVID season. Everybody can come back. You don't know who's coming back. And so I think there's some things in there that that make yesterday kind of a, a weird game in general, not just, hey, it's Washington come to Tucson. It should be a blowout. Here's why I'm a little bit more optimistic than maybe I should be, being that Washington is one of the worst teams in the conference, if not the worst team. You look up and down here, though. Washington got some career games from some guys that, honestly, from at least from my perspective, were not even in my pregame plans. Basically, when it came down to Washington, I was looking at Jamal Bay, Quade Green, and Eric Stevenson. Right. So when a guy like Hamir Wright goes bananas from three-point range and dip, drops in 18, they shoot 50% from the field, and Arizona still finds a way to win that game— That, to me, shows some kind of progression, even if you can't really put a finger on it. Second of all, this was a game that I think a month ago, five weeks ago, I think Arizona loses this game, Brogan. Yeah, and confidence with this team, obviously, is a big deal with so many younger pieces and things like that. But I think also what this game showed was that they've got, and we've we've talked about Akinjo a bunch over the past, but this game showed he's the guy who is willing to have the ball in his hands. He had a big three, the possession before, that gave him the lead or maybe it was two possessions before, um, and then made the winning play at the end of the game where he finds Tezulis in the, or Tabellis in the corner for the three. So they finally have a guy on their team who isn't afraid of the moment, who wants the ball in his hands, and is going to go try to make a play no matter what. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, but he's the guy who wants the ball. I don't know that we've had that in the past well, two, three, four years. Well, that was going to be my next point. I can't really remember a guy that really wanted that ball in the last five years. I mean, you look at last year's team, sure, you had two first-round picks and another guy that uh, is in the G league right now and Nico Mannion every close game I never felt Arizona was going to win that game and generally they did find a way to lose that game again I'm not making it out like uh, James Akinjo is Kobe Bryant right now but it does feel like no now though that Miller looks at him because those last two plays were strictly James Akinjo designed plays right there it was the typical you get in the lane and you've got basically two options you can you can go up with that shot or you can dish it out to the perimeter made the right decision there and the previous play when Akinjo is coming down the court He's launching a three, and that was almost nothing but net, and there was no doubt that he was going to be taking that shot. And so being able to find somebody where you're going into the offseason and you know win or lose is going to be your closer – I think that's a really underrated aspect of what this team is. And I think we've seen that start to develop over the last four games where he's really taken charge of this team as his team. Yeah, and basketball players in general are built one of two ways. And it doesn't matter if you're at the rec league, if you're in college or you're the NBA. You're built one of two ways. You either want the ball in that moment and you have enough confidence in yourself to be able to 
handle the moment, good or bad, or you just really aren't built for that moment. And, and that could be a number of different things. You're afraid of the criticism that comes with the moment. You don't, you don't trust your skills enough for that moment. If you look at Kobe Bryant, for instance, Kobe's going to shoot every game winner possible. Why? Because he wants that moment. Kobe's also the guy who is one of the worst percentage players mm-hmm. on game-winning shots in the history of the NBA. But guess what? He's still taking the next shot. And nobody looks at him and says, I don't feel comfortable with that because you can tell in his eyes, even though that he, even though there's probably a 22% chance he's going to make this, he believes there's a 100% chance right. he's going to make it. And I've always felt in basketball, there's a few things that you can't teach. And uh, Kelvin Efon, who we'll have on a little bit uh, in a few, uh, few episodes from now, and I were debating this a little bit, I believe that there's a few things that you can't coach in hoops. One of them is, do you want that moment? Everybody says they want that moment. Everybody says it. Because you know what? Have you ever heard somebody say, nah, I don't really want the last shot. But you can't, you, but you also know very quickly if that person really wants that moment or not. So we're at least seeing that from a guy like James Akinjo. The other thing, too, and this is off topic, I don't believe that you can generally get big men to have better hands. But that'll be something <laughs> for this. That'll be something for this offseason to talk about. But if Arizona can go into this offseason on a four-game winning streak and showing at least some consistency and showing a pecking order in place, which I think is starting to develop here. We've, we just talked about Akinjo. Azulis Tabellis is basically a double-double guy at this point. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason to believe that the big man isn't going to be significantly better next year. Ben Matherin's kind of the wild card. We'll we'll talk about him a lot this offseason. But you're at least getting a pecking order. Whereas, I yeah. think in the past three years... There really hasn't been that post DeAndre Ayton. There's a team with Brandon Randolph where it's the team was quite frankly just wasn't good. Mm-hmm. Last year, again, you had guys, but Zeke Naji was really the only one that you knew on a game by game basis was going to be able to get his. But he's a big man, so it's a little bit mm-hmm. little bit different of a phenomenon. So this team right now, I think you're starting to at least see them starting to buy in and figure out what Sean Miller wants. And when Sean Miller says that they're doing that, and this is a guy that generally doesn't BS in the media, and he says if it wasn't for his point guard right now, they'd be 5-19 and 19 or whatever the number was. Yeah, I believe that he means that. Yeah, and here's the thing. You know I'm a, a much bigger Nico fan than mm-hmm. than you are, clearly. Right. Um, he's <laughs> actually sure. tearing it up in the G League right now, mm-hmm. so I'm actually slightly I had no happy da- about I that. I had no doubt he would be okay <laughs> in the G League. That was uh, never the debate. Right. But... You know, what you didn't hear, and Miller is always pro player. Occasionally he'll, you know, he'll do what he did with Matherin earlier in the year and say, hey, I don't like his attitude or whatever to fire his players up. That's all calculated. It's all strategic. But you didn't really ever hear him talk about Nico the way he talked about Akinjo ever in the postgame. I mean, he gave him props. For I sure. Mean- he 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 no doubt he loves Nico, but you can tell that he credits the majority of this year's success to James Akinjo and the stuff that he's able to do for the team, which is important because they haven't had that for a couple years. And I think what's also important about having a guy like him, though, going into the offseason is, and again, another situation where I don't know that we've had this person, maybe since TJ McConnell, Mm -hmm. and here's where I'm going with this, a guy that's going to hold people accountable. And think about it, Arizona... Four year, four or five years ago with the DeAndre Ayton team, entered the season, what, ranked third in the nation? Something like that. Yeah. But, and while Alonzo Trier is a junior going into the season, 
nobody looked at Alonzo Trier and said, that's the guy that's going to hold people accountable. Yeah. He's going to be the one that's going to make everything happen. Raleigh Alkins certainly wasn't that guy. Aiton's coming in as just kind of this other world phenomenon who's just going to walk out and score 22 and 11. So I think the last real guy that you could make the case held people accountable in the way that Sean Miller needed them to was probably TJ McConnell. Yeah, and and it kind of speaks to the uh, the post game pressure or presser when you know a comment was made about Akinjo being soft spoken and he was like, "I'm not soft spoken," <laughs> like that. But I think that type of confidence, that type of attitude, kind of lets you know, like, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead this team, and if that means vocally, great, I'll do that. If that means with the way I play, okay, great, I'll do that. I'll, I'll be the guy who wants to raise his hand at the end of the game and say, "Hey, I'll take the shot. I'll make the play." Um, but to your point, all good teams have that. Arizona hasn't had that for the last couple of years. So if they're going to make any sort of noise next year in a, in a meaningful manner, they're going to have to have that guy in, in a Kinjo's And honestly, guy. I think that for some guys, I think it's more important than others. And with Lute Olsen, I don't know that it was as important because Lute gave his players such a freedom mm-hmm. to go about and do things. It was basically a... I'm going to trust you until you give me a reason not to trust you. Whereas I think Miller is kind of the exact opposite. And that's not really a slight towards Miller. It's just he's just obviously a drastically different coach. But when you've got a guy that's a taskmaster like that, Sooner or later, and you played you played ball at the at the college level. You know that sooner or later, when somebody, whether it's your coach, whether it's your boss, who is just yelling at you the entire time sooner sooner or later you just tune that out yeah and it has to come then from a co-worker from a player somebody like that and i think this is really the first time you've had it and i think that's why this offseason could be pretty advantageous for this team yeah and there's a distinct difference between a coach telling you you have to do something and right coaches need players players need coaches i get all that but it comes across different and this is why Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, this is why they work the way they work, is if I'm showing up to practice every day, if I'm practicing as hard or as harder than anybody else on the team in practice and doing things like that, then I've earned the right or the credibility to be that other voice that's going to motivate my teammates, whether that's through yelling, whether that's through you know patting them on the back, whatever that means. And, and, and I think Akinjo has earned kind of that respect of his teammates to be able to be that you know, leader amongst the players, mm-hmm. you know, because to your point, after a while you tune out coach for a day, a week, a minute, an hour, whatever it is, but you can't tune out your teammate who's out there busting his tail the same way you are and he wants to hold you accountable for making mistakes. You have to respond to that if you're a good player. Arizona, I think it's safe to say over the last five, six, seven years, their biggest rivalry has been with the team that we're about to break down next. I've also got a funny joke for the listeners coming up. <laughs> I but, can't wait. Oh, no, it's good. You haven't heard this one. Wink, wink. But before we get do all that, again, want to give you a little bit of a reminder about Built Bar. I've been trying to put on some pounds during this uh, pandemic, trying to put on some good weight, and Built Bar is the way to go. I don't like generally having protein shakes. It's pretty easily it's pretty easy for me to rationalize having a McChicken after a workout because I can say, well, there's protein in it, even though basically the rest of it is garbage. But the reason I do that is because it tastes good. Built Bar is the same way. Built Bar taste doesn't taste like a protein bar, and it is a good way of starting your workout or possibly ending your workout, depending on how you want to go about it. 
Built Bar is one where it's just different. And once you taste it, you know it doesn't have that chalky taste. It's just a good tasting protein bar. So I would I couldn't recommend Built Bar enough. And the promo code again is Locked On 20. Let's talk some Oregon basketball, Arizona matchup. You're listening to Locked On Wildcats. Thanks for listening to Locked On Wildcats. I'm Mike Luke, joined by John Brogan. Over the last 30 years, there's basically been two teams that have been the teams that have really mattered in the Pac-12. There's been some teams that have come and gone. There's been your Stanfords, which it's probably a little unfair to say they've come and gone because under Mike Montgomery, they were significant. They were impactful for quite a while. But, you know, there's Cal had a few nice runs. ASU in the mid-90s had a few but there was never really a team outside of those uh, outside of Arizona or UCLA that was the, probably the best team in the conference over a 5 to 6 year period and that's what we've seen over the last 5 to 6 years with Dana Altman and the Oregon Ducks now when Dana Altman got here Sean Miller and Arizona basically smacked him around there was one year i think where Arizona won all 3 games and was by an average of 22 points but that was about eight or nine years ago. And for whatever reason now, Sean Miller cannot beat Dana Altman. Now, this has been the last six games, obviously, you've lost. I believe it's nine of 11. But the weird thing about it is generally when you see a streak of futility like that, you assume that these are all double-digit losses. This isn't that case. Arizona, for the most part, has played these Oregon games even but somehow, every single game, it seems that Oregon finds some way to backdoor their way into a win. And it was never more indicative of that earlier in the season when Arizona looks like they're about to beat Oregon. Oregon goes down in transition. Chris Duarte, the wing, gets left for a wide open three. Bang, that game is essentially over. What is the key to Oregon winning these incredibly close games against Arizona, John? I mean, I think it's some of the things we talked about, right? If you if you think the six-game winning streak goes back a couple seasons and Arizona really hasn't had that closer that can get them a bucket, um, you know, late in the game. <clears throat> you know, I think Miller's also had his challenges, I guess, you know, with late-game situations, play calls, things like that. Um, but really, I think it just comes down to players making plays. And Oregon... For whatever reason, Arizona, it seems like in the last six games, at least half of them, Arizona's played the better game. Mm -hmm. For sure. But Oregon stayed in the game, kept the game close enough, um, and then a, a key turnover here or there, and all of a sudden they've got a chance to win a game, and they've made plays every time. Does it come down to basically Peyton Pritchard was better than anybody Arizona had, and even though he had a bad game, Chris Duarte is probably the one that you trust taking that shot more than anybody Arizona on this point? Yeah, yeah, I mean, Pritchard for sure, 100%. Mm -hmm. um, with the Duarte shot, I mean, that's a, a catch-and-shoot, right. wide-open three. If that's Omaruri, if that's Figueroa, even Richardson, even though he's been playing you know, horrible the last couple of days or games since he's came back, if you give up a wide-open shot to good college players, they typically make those shots. Right. And so I blame that more on the defensive breakdown than the fact that it was Duarte. Now, he's the last guy on Oregon I want shooting that shot because he's an NBA player in my mind. But if you give guys That's open a shot shots, of Jason Shear right there. <laughs> if you give guys wide open shots, 
you're going to lose games more mm-hmm. often than you're going to win. Um, but again, it just speaks to, you know, Oregon made a play and Arizona didn't. All right, let's get down to the nitty gritty in this game, though, mm-hmm. where I find it where I think this is going to be fascinating is on the wings here. I think that Akinjo will I think Akinjo is going to play a fine game. I don't really doubt Will Richardson hasn't been good in his return and he's been a major disappointment for Oregon. What I'm fascinated to see is the matchup on the wings because Oregon has two of the bigger wings in the conference and when you've got LJ Figueroa and you've got Chris Duarte. You're going to have Benedict Matherin and Kerr Creesa in this situation. Now, Kerr, and, Kerr had a pretty good game last time. He Maybe it was his coming out from three-point range. But this is going to be an interesting matchup for the Cats here because Oregon, when they've been good, has been able to get seven, eight rebounds from guys like Chris Duarte and LJ Figueroa because of their size. I think it's going to be imperative for Arizona's guys and Ben Matherin and Kerr Creesa to score but also to be able to keep those guys off the glass as much as possible. Yeah, and I think what was interesting about the last game is Arizona didn't shoot the ball well Mm. at all and was still ahead late in the game. And so I have enough confidence in Arizona with Coloco and Jordan Brown and Tubelis to be able to rebound. Um, You know, Oregon out-rebounded them last game, but again, that speaks more to that Arizona was just missing shots left and right, and so of course Oregon's going to have rebound numbers. The, the thing that interests me about the last game is Oregon only had 10 assists, which means there's not a ton of ball movement. There's not It's, it's well, a lot you know of that, one-on-one type of stuff. You know what that was? That was basically dumping the ball to Eugene Omaruri and saying, get to the hoop somehow. Right. And so if, if Oregon's game plan is just going to be, you know, Omaruri post-ups and a bunch of isos, then I like Arizona's chances. Because the teams that typically beat Arizona— and give their defense fits are the ones who are able to really create off the dribble, get into the paint, and then you're either finishing or you're kicking out for open threes, or you're which getting, is... Or you're getting them into foul trouble. Or you're getting them into foul trouble. And so if Oregon's going to ISO and do a lot of one-on-one type of stuff and the ball's not really moving, I think that plays well for Arizona. But what I do, this game's at Oregon. Arizona's got to travel a day after, you know, they, they basically play yesterday against Washington. I don't know if they traveled last night or if they traveled today, but then they got a game tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Not a ton of time to game plan. It's their third game in five days, six days, whatever. So if Arizona doesn't shoot the ball well, I kind of think they lose by double digits because it's a quick turnaround, not a ton of game planning. Oregon's at home, and Oregon's got talent. Oregon's got firepower. Um, But if they shoot the ball well, then I think they can win. And conversely, I'm also going to say this, for whatever reason— and you could say it's COVID. You could say that guys have missed a lot of time, whatever the case may be. But Oregon has not played to the talent on their roster because the talent on their roster should not be getting smacked by USC or playing all of these close games. Granted, they're winning these close games, but when you're playing a team like Utah and it's going down to the wire, those are the kind of games that you should probably be winning by 12, 13 points. So for whatever reason, Oregon has not figured it out. So, yes, it's a four-and-a-half point. Arizona's about a four-and-a-half point underdog. But honestly, I think that's about where I'd put it. And if you're a four-and-a-half point underdog, that means that you're more than a live dog. Yeah, and the thing with Oregon, we've we've had many a debate about this. Chris Duarte is, is who I think the conference player of the year should be, especially if they win the conference. If they lose a couple games and USC wins, then I'm fine with Mobley. Um, but Duarte's been an animal for like three weeks straight now. Right. Um, and Omaruri's good in the right situation, and and that situation is more often than not in these games. 
But after that, Will Richardson was supposed to be a lot better than he was. He'd he, been terrible. You know, he had the wrist injury and then obviously, you know, COVID practice, all that stuff. Um, the rest of their talent, though, I'm underwhelmed a little bit by it. Mm-hmm. You know, Figueroa is good, but Figueroa is the guy who you look at the box score and he's got 12 and 6, but he didn't really do much to impact the game outside of that. Kepnang's good, but he's young. Williams is good. Same thing as Figueroa. He might score 10 points in a game, and you're like, oh, okay, you made a few shots. And so I think where they're at from a talent perspective felt like it should have been a lot better, and then it just kind of was just kind of meh after Duarte and, and Omaruri. Right. So it'll be fascinating to see how this game unfolds, especially with um, – Oregon, because the thing about Oregon, where I think they're a little bit difficult to game plan for, but again, Arizona can win this game, is Altman's going to throw seven different things at you to kind of see what sticks there. Real quick, so Dana Altman moves out of Crete, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. okay? I move out of Crete, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. Guess what you call somebody that moves out of Crete, Nebraska? I don't know. What, What do you call them? An excretion. Do you get it? Yeah. No, do you get it? It's also it's, true. It's it's true. It's, oh, it's also true. true. <laughs> On that note, all right. So give me a give me a score prediction right here. What are we uh what are we gonna be talking about later in the week? I don't know if I can go full Kelvin Homer and just pick <laughs> Arizona to win every game. Just do it. Um I'm gonna go seventy to sixty three Oregon. I'm gonna go. 81-76 Oregon. We're kind of in the same ballpark. I think it's going to be a little bit more high scoring. But I want to say one thing before we uh, sign off here. A lot of people are saying, well, you know what? Oregon's got a lot more to play for. And that is true. I get that with the conference championship. But I don't want to sell Arizona short here in this regard. Because even though they don't technically have anything to play for, they've been playing like every game matters. And I expect them to come out there and not have any quit I, th- I expect Arizona to give 100% out there. Well, and here's the thing is USC had everything to play for yesterday, and they get beat relatively easily by Utah. And Arizona, this is this is the way for them to set the table and kind of have the most upward momentum you could have to end this season heading into next season is to go beat the team that's most likely going to win the pack. And then you can say, hey, next year we come back. Why can't we be first? We just beat Oregon to end the season. Um, yeah, so I, 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 I don't... I don't think Arizona's going to come out and just lay an egg and get beat by 20. I don't see that happening. On that optimistic note, can we get you back on Wednesday? Yeah, I'll be here Wednesday for sure. All right, for John Brogan, I'm Mike Luke. Thanks for tuning in to Locked On Wildcats.